Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called Onward, a study in the book of Acts. Together, we're learning how to live as an ordinary people, empowered to continue Jesus' mission. Thanks for listening. Well, I don't want to hold anybody up here, but I'm going to invite you to turn uh, your Bible, if you have it with you, to Acts chapter 3, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, we always have some in the seat underneath you there, and you can find Acts 3 on page 884 of those black Bibles. Now, as you're turning there, I just need to tell you, today I'm going to do something a little different, and I'm kind of nervous about it. You see, originally this message was to be called our pattern for witnessing or our pattern for evangelism, because in the passage that we're going to be looking at, What we see is this incredible miracle take place and then Peter uses this miracle of healing as an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with the people who were there. We've talked about this a lot as a church family, right? This is the pattern of Jesus' ministry as well. He would often show the gospel through deeds of compassion, good works, and then he would use that as a springboard to tell people the good news of his kingdom. We saw that a couple weeks ago already in Acts chapter 2, where Peter uses the opportunity of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to give the first gospel sermon recorded in Acts. And I would just say, this is still to be our pattern today as God's people. As you know, people don't care what we know until they know that we care. And so we care for people. And if the Spirit opens the door, we use that as an opportunity to share the gospel. But as I was working through this passage this week, something was bothering me. You see, this is the first healing recorded in the New Testament outside of a healing done by Jesus himself. We'll discover there are 14 other healings in the book of Acts, and I just had this overwhelming prompting from the Holy Spirit that I confirmed in community, including with our elders, to speak about healing to our church instead of this pattern for evangelism. Now, I hope that many of you are using the Bible studies that we're going through as a church, because if you are, you did have the opportunity to look at this entire passage. And my hope is you were challenged to think about how you can use that pattern in your own life. How can I show people the gospel? And then if the Spirit opens a door, how can I tell people the gospel today? But today, I'm going to do something different. Like I said, I'm going to talk about healing. Specifically, if you're following on your notes there, does Jesus still heal people today? Now let me ask you, don't be afraid to raise your hand. How many of you in this room are dealing with some sort of illness or sickness? Just raise your hand if that's you. Okay, how many of you know somebody or you love somebody who is dealing with sickness or illness today? I would bet every one of our hands should be up. We are either battling something ourselves or we know or love somebody who is battling something in their life. And friends, that's just the fact of this world that we live in. And yet we read that one day, 700 years before Jesus appeared, God made a promise through one of his prophets, his name was Isaiah, that one day somebody would come, and not only would this person heal spiritual sickness, spiritual brokenness, but also physical sickness as well. In fact, we read about this in Isaiah 53, verse 5, where Isaiah says these words, But he, this person who would come, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Well, we know that that person did come, and his name is Jesus, as the choir reminded us. And he did practice healing, both for our broken spirits, offering the forgiveness of sin, but also for broken bodies. 
Then we see in the book of Acts, as we've been studying the last four weeks together, Jesus ascends into heaven where he sits in power at the right hand of God. He sends his Holy Spirit on his disciples in order for them to continue his mission. That includes the mission of spiritual healing. But it also included the mission of physical healing as well. And we're talking about this today as a church that we too are empowered as ordinary people to continue Jesus' mission today. Because just as Jesus was present when he was alive on earth, just as he was present in the time of Acts, he's just as present with us here today. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk through Acts chapter 3, just verses 1 through 10, and I'm going to use that as a springboard to ask some commonly asked questions about healing. Now listen, these are my commonly asked questions, so if they're not yours, too bad. I'm the one standing up here, so that's what you're getting. So you notice that your message notes are a little different today. I've left some extra space. Uh, it's not going to just be all fill in the blanks, but if you want to take some extra notes, I encourage you to do that. But let's look at Acts chapter 3, verse 1 together. I'm going to make comments as we go through this passage together. Verse 1 says, One day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And I'll just pause here and point out something important Peter and John and the disciples were never out to start a new religion. They were Jews, and they knew that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, and so they're doing what devout Jews did. They went to the temple at the different times when people would go there to pray. Verse 2, Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now Luke makes a distinction here that this man was born blind. And that is an important distinction for the Jewish person living in this time because if you were born with some sort of physical illness or disease, it either meant that you had sinned in your mother's womb or your parents had sinned in some way and that was therefore the result of this sickness or disease. We read a similar instance in John chapter 9 with a man who was born blind. And the disciples asked Jesus, was he born this way because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? And you know what Jesus says? That's garbage. That's, that's just not how this works. It's also important to note that as a crippled man, notice where he was placed. He was placed at the gate of the temple because he was not allowed to go into the temple. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. That is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. I did a whole sermon just on that verse one time. Because I love the idea that Peter looked straight at him. So often when we find ourselves in awkward situations or around uncomfortable people, we do the opposite. We avert our eyes, but Peter shows this man incredible dignity and honor. Then Peter said, look at us. This man had probably learned to keep his eyes averted so nobody felt uncomfortable around him. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Now would you read verse 6 out loud on your notes there with me. It says, Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now please don't miss it. Whose name has all power and authority for healing? the name of Jesus Christ. Now listen, that name, when we invoke the name, it's not like some magical mantra. It's not like abracadabra, I say the name of Jesus and all of a sudden amazing things will happen. No, what it is, it's inviting the living Jesus into this moment 
That's what Peter is doing right here. Jesus, be present here in power. Is Jesus still present here with us today in power? Yes. He is present with his people, and his name is the name above every other name. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Now, I love Luke is, of course, a doctor, and in the Greek, he explains this incredible thing that happens this way. He says, the man's feet and ankle, quote, snapped back into place, just like that. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Notice where does he go now? Where can he go? He can go into the temple. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So he goes into the temple so he can worship and praise and celebrate the goodness of God. And what happens is that the other people see him and they're too astounded. They're dumbfounded at what they see. And then the rest of this passage goes on, like I said, to record Peter seizing this incredible opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with these people who are filled with wonder and amazement. I hope you studied his speech this week because it really is a theological and practical goldmine for how we can still talk to others about him today. But for the rest of our time, I'm going to tackle, like I said, some commonly asked questions about healing. So the first question right there, right on your notes, is why don't we see more healings like this today? Have you ever wondered this? Now listen, I'm talking specifically about here in the United States of America. Because you have to understand that healings take place often in other parts of the world. You can read about them. They're verified. But why don't we see them, these miraculous encounters, as much today in our country? This kind of reminds me of a famous story about St. Thomas Aquinas one day when he was in Rome. He was walking along the street with a, a cardinal of the church, and the cardinal noticed a beggar, and he pulls out a silver coin, and he places it in the beggar's tray there. And then he looks at Thomas, and he says these words. Well, Thomas, fortunately, we can no longer say as Peter did, silver and gold have I none. And Thomas replied to him, yes, that is true, but neither can we say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, I think, honestly, there are all kinds of potential reasons for this, besides not just believing that it still can happen today. I would say that's a major one. I'm going to run through three major reasons and understand these are huge concepts that need way more explanation and study. But here are three reasons I believe we might not see this as much today in our country. Number one, rationalism. Rationalism. Now, don't confuse that with rational thinking. Rationalism seeks a rational explanation for all of our experiences, making reason the chief guide in all matters of life. So listen, supernatural events, they just fly in the face of rationalism, and thus we come up with rational explanations to explain everything away. Closely related to that is number two, materialism. And that just means that nothing we see, nothing that we don't see actually exists. We have to be able to prove by what we see, by what we test, and what we prove what is real. So it's only stuff we can touch that is actually real. This happens then when we start reading through some of the healing accounts in the New Testament. We have to come up with another explanation for it sometimes. 
I remember talking to one of my New Testament professors once, and he just said, yeah, I don't think a lot of the healings were actually miraculous healings. There was something else going on there. Why? Because he needed a rational, materialistic explanation for what those things meant. And then number three, individualism. Individualism. This is what our country is famous for. We place high value on self-reliance and independence. I want to control my own destiny, my own life. When it comes to healing in the Bible, though, listen to this. It is always done with others. Whether it was with Jesus that a healing took place or with the disciples that a healing took place or more importantly for our day and age in the book of James with the elders of a church that healing took place. I think we actually look at this the other way around nowadays. We don't want people to know that we're sick or struggling or going through illness. We keep that to ourselves. I wonder sometimes if that's why not more people come forward after the services. I don't want anybody to see me, that I'm struggling, that I might have a need, that I need somebody to pray for me. But James rejects that idea. He says our physical illnesses are not private, personal matters. We're to give them to the body of Christ in order to let them minister to us in our weaknesses. So those are just three quick things. I told you, I'm just scratching the surface there. There are probably others. But the second question I'm sure many of you have asked is why is there even sickness and disease today? Like why do we even have to deal with this stuff? Why does everybody's hand go up when I ask that question? Well, Scripture, again, gives us three answers to this question. The first reason why there is sickness and suffering is because of the fall. What's the fall? Well, in the beginning, we're told God made the world perfect and good. There was no sickness or disease or even death. But then we're told we rebelled against God. We chose to turn our backs on God. We want to be our own God. And the result is sin entered the world and has infected everything and everyone. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 8 when he says the whole world groans. Why? Because sin has infected our world. It's the weight and bondage of sin. And it also, he also tells us that the world is yearning, waiting for the day to be restored. And so what that means is that there are some things that happen in our lives, some things that happen in our world, like natural disasters and other things, that doesn't necessarily have a direct cause, an effect that we can point to. Again, this is what Jesus talks about in John 9 with that question about the man born blind. He said it's neither this woman's, this man's sin or his parents' sin that has caused this. At the fall, sin and sickness, suffering and death entered into the human equation. And as a result, things are not as God intended. But the Bible is also clear, if you're following, that personal sin can be a cause for some sicknesses. I'll give you an example. I think you would agree with this. If somebody chooses to get drunk and then they choose to drive their car and they get in a wreck, we would say there was a direct cause and effect between their sin and now their suffering. Personal sin led to their suffering. If I choose to eat really poorly the rest of my life, not treating my body as the spirit's temple, then I might experience some of the effects of that. I might experience sickness. But sometimes, I just gotta tell you, Sickness, illness are not caused because of physical causes and effects. They're caused by spiritual causes and effects. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 11, which is a doozy of a passage. 
The situation in Corinth is this. The people are getting drunk. They're having sex outside of the marriage covenant. They're rebelling against God. They're disobeying God. Listen, they're excluding people in their own church family from some of their gatherings. They're claiming to be believers, followers of Jesus. And yet they're living these open, rebellious, sinful lives. And then they come to the communion table, the Lord's table, which we're going to practice together in a little bit here, not repenting of their sin, not even acknowledging that they're in their sin. They're basically saying, Jesus, you died for my sin. You're obligated to forgive me no matter how far I take it. What do you think Paul thinks about that? I don't think he liked it very much. You'll read some of the harshest words in the New Testament in this passage. And he even goes so far as to say this in verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 11. That is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Sometimes it's spiritual and a doctor ultimately won't help. What will help is repenting of our sin in order to experience healing. I gotta tell you, one of the things I love are fruit smoothies. I like Smoothie King over there, and so I'll get a fruit smoothie. And have you ever had this experience when you get a smoothie? You're drinking, you're drinking through the straw, when all of a sudden, what happened? I got a piece of fruit stuck in the straw, and until I get that piece of fruit out of the straw, the flow of my straw can't work anymore. And I'm just going to tell you, that's similar to what we learn here. Sin can be like that fruit in the straw, not allowing the fellowship that we have with God to flow in the way he intended. And that is why we're given the gift of confession and repentance in order to open up the flow in our relationship with God again. Third reason for sickness we see in the Bible is Satan and demons. We see this all over the Gospels. I'll give you one example from Jesus' ministry on a certain Sabbath day. You're not going to believe this. Jesus actually healed a woman who had been sick for 18 years. How dare he? That's exactly what the Pharisees said. How dare you heal on the Sabbath day? Notice what Jesus replies to them, though. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath day untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman... A daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. Now, this is hard for us to accept, again, for some of the reasons I talked about, rationalism and those kinds of things, right? Because it challenges that idea. But in Jesus' day, to say Satan has kept her bound was easily accepted. Not even the Pharisees would have disagreed with this, but we're just not as aware of the fact as Westerners today that there is a spiritual battle going on all the time, all around us, even now. Satan doesn't want us to hear about this kind of thing, and so he's going to do battle with us. Now listen, we can't be controlled by Satan. A believer in Jesus cannot be possessed by Satan, but we can be oppressed by him. And sometimes he might do that through sickness, through disease. Does Jesus have power over this? Does the name of Jesus have power over Satan and demons? Try that again. <laughs> Does the name of Jesus of Nazareth have power over Satan and demons? Yes. Thank you. He has defeated the darkness. We stand in victory because of his name. Now, another question people have is, does miraculous healing replace traditional medicine? I'm sure you've heard stories where people don't take their kids to the hospital 
because they have faith that God will heal them. And by taking them to the hospital, it would show a lack of faith. And sadly, some of those stories turn out very badly. This is absolutely not what we believe. We believe in medicine and supernatural prayer. We believe in both. You know what? I'm betting Luke did too. Luke, the author of the book of Acts that we're studying right now, do you know what he did for a living? He's called the beloved physician. Luke is a doctor, so I'm pretty sure he's good with medicine. The Bible never speaks in a negative way against those who are in medicine. So listen, if you work in hospice or you're a physical therapist, a dentist, you're a doctor, you're an EMT, you're a counselor, you're a psychologist, we say as a church body, praise be to God. Praise be to God that you would devote your life to understanding the body and the mind that God has made and you use your gifts to minister and to help people heal in those things. Listen, the Bible is for prayer, but it's also not against medicine. It's for both. Next question. Why might God heal someone? Why does God heal? Well, there's a long list, but I'm going to give you five. And we can take all five of these from our verses here in Acts chapter 3. Number one, he might heal as an act of his love and mercy to the person who's suffering. As an act of love and mercy to the person who's suffering. I mean, look at this guy that we just read about. Can't you get a picture of him a little bit in your mind? Kind of the same guy that you see on the street corner begging for money there, right? That's the guy we're talking about. That God would love and heal him. What an act of mercy on his part. And for the rest of this life, this man stands as a trophy of God's grace. As he walks around town, everybody's like, I know who that is. That's the guy who used to sit at the temple gate begging for money, not able to walk. Look at what God did in his life. What an act of grace. How loved do you think that man felt when he got to stand up for the first time in his life and walk into the temple? Well, actually, I'm lying. He didn't walk into the temple. He jumped and danced and ran and praised God to do what? To give thanks to the God of love and mercy in his life. If you've experienced some sort of healing in your life, it's by God's grace, his mercy. Number two, he might heal to validate his servants. True or false? Do you think Peter and John got a little more street cred after this? Peter and John, who are they? Oh, aren't they the guys that healed the man who was sitting at the gate there? I heard about that. You see, sometimes God will allow supernatural healing to come through one of his servants in order to validate their ministry because they're representatives of Jesus. Now, I want to be quick here to mention, you're probably not thinking that's me. That's like the apostles. That's those mega star faith healers. That's pastors. But we are remembering again and again in this series, friends. God calls ordinary people to empower them to do the same things Jesus did while he walked the earth. And that includes healing. Did you know Paul lists healing as one of the gifts that the body of Christ will have? Now, does a person who have that gift better than any other person who has different spiritual gifts? No, but we all need each other to be the church that God has called us to be. Number three, and this one is huge for me, God might heal to reveal the kingdom of God. When Jesus healed disease, whether demonically or physically caused, what did he do? He's pushing back against the kingdom of Satan. 
He's taking ground for the kingdom of God. What the devil did, Jesus is undoing. And healings are like glimpses into what the kingdom of God fully culminated is going to look like. Here's what we need to remember. The kingdom of God has not yet been fully revealed. We are living in between the two times. But every once in a while, it has a breakthrough, doesn't it? There's a breakthrough where we see what the kingdom is going to look like once and for all. It shows us what's to come. Causes our hearts to yearn and long for that day, for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Think of it this way. This December, usually December is the time when big blockbuster movies come out. And in the fall, we get to see all these previews of what these movies are going to be like. Oh, I can't wait to see Star Wars. This preview was awesome. Well, healings are a little bit like that. They're kind of like movie trailers. Oh, the kingdom of God is coming. People are going to get healed like this. It's even better than a movie. Think about it. This guy's walking around who's lame from birth. It's causing people to go, whoa. Is that what the kingdom of God is? That sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Number four, God heals to witness to non-Christians. To witness to non-Christians. This was what I was originally going to speak on today, right? This incredible healing takes place, and what does Peter do? Does he just go, huh? No, he says, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity of God's grace. And I'm going to share with you exactly what is happening here. And do you think the people were ready to listen? Oh, I'm pretty sure they were ready to listen. So listen, if that happened to you, if somebody, if you experienced some sort of healing, don't you think your non-Christian coworker might ask, what, what happened? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you, I went to my church and they prayed over me and God healed me. And I'm all better. That'll preach. That'll preach in any office. All of a sudden, non-Christians are curious about Jesus because they're seeing him work in your life in a way that they probably haven't ever seen before. Number five, he heals sometimes to motivate his followers to greater worship. What did the man do the second he was healed? He walked into the temple to praise God. What did the people do who saw him? They were motivated to worship. God is alive. God is powerful. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. What would it do for you if you were to experience a healing like this? Do you think it would motivate you to deeper worship? A friend was just sharing this week that four of them were away on a retreat and something just came over one of the people. Unexplainable. Sickness physically, mentally, emotionally. They prayed over her and she was released in a miraculous way. Do you think that caused them to greater worship, to see God work in that tangible, powerful, healing way? Absolutely. And it will do the same for us when we see it in our church. Next question is, does God heal everyone in this life? Now, the reason I'm wording it that way, because I wonder if some of you have heard this teaching before. Everyone can be healed in this life. You just need to have faith. If you have enough faith, you can be healed. Which means if you're not healed, it's because you failed, because you don't have enough faith. So that's essentially saying, if it doesn't work, it's your fault, not mine. This has caused tremendous damage to many devoted followers of Jesus over the years, including to me. Some of you know I was born with a kidney disease, a genetic kidney disease. And I remember in college, somebody came and they spoke this. And I believed it. And I went to them and I prayed with them. And I mustered up all the faith that I could possibly muster up. And I wasn't healed. 
and I thought of myself as a failure. Now, I'll correct that. I actually was healed last summer when a friend in this church donated a kidney to me, a sacrifice, where the people in this church prayed for me to, for that to go well, when gifted doctors worked on my body, and now I stand here healed, God answering my prayer from years ago. Praise God. Listen, I want us as a people to believe that God can still heal. I want us to ask for healing. I want us to have faith that he can heal. But understand, not everyone will be healed right now on this earth. Now, I don't know who will be healed. I wish I did. But we can pray. We can wait. We can see. We can trust. But it's a horrible thing to tell people one of two things. God doesn't do that stuff anymore. That was for a different time. He doesn't heal people anymore. Or number two, you just got to have enough faith to be healed. So if you're not healed, it's kind of your fault. Listen, even in the New Testament, we see not everyone is healed. For example, the Apostle Paul had the power to heal a crippled man from birth and to raise a man from the dead. And yet three times in the New Testament, he refers to his friends, Epaphroditus, Trophimus, and Timothy, who suffered from serious illnesses. One friend he had to leave behind on one of his missionary journey because he was still sick. So listen, why didn't Paul just pray for him? Didn't he have enough faith? Did his friend not have enough faith that he could be healed? To another friend, he actually says, hey, here's a medical treatment for you to ease the pain. Why did he offer that if he could have just prayed for him to be healed? And many of you know, Paul himself suffered from what's called a thorn in the flesh. And he prayed for three seasons of his life that God would remove it. And God said, no, because I want you to learn that my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes God does not heal us in this life because he has a different purpose for us to understand and to go through. I think of someone like Joni Erickson Tata. Some of you know who that is. She prayed, 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 had faith that she would be healed and God said no. And she would say today that because God said no, she has been able to minister to people she never would have met in her life. There are better Christians with greater character and faith than I will ever have, who will not be healed. But we believe, as in all things, even in those moments, that God is sovereign and he is working all things together for the good of those who love him. Sometimes he just has a greater purpose that we can't see here and now. Now, I just want to say again on the flip side of that, I'm going to challenge us. I believe there could be much more healing today if we took this more seriously. Some of us have never even considered being prayed for by a prayer team member. Some of us have never considered asking the elders to pray over us. And I would say, why not? Maybe God wants to do something powerful in this place and is just waiting for us to respond in faith. So does God heal everyone? The answer is no. For some, it might not be his purpose, at least for now, because here's what we do believe. All of God's people will one day receive complete healing. Revelation 21.4 says, when that day comes, would you read this out loud with me on the screen? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Come, Lord Jesus. No more funerals. No more crying. No more carrying bridge posts. No more prayer blogs. No more prayer meetings. One day it's all going to be over. God will restore and renew this world and our bodies the way he originally intended them to be. Maranatha, which just means 
Come, Lord Jesus. But we're not there yet. Some of us know we are not there yet. And so the last question I have for us today is, how can or how does healing happen today? How can it happen today? I was reading something helpful this week that basically asked this question. Listen to this. If Jesus were alive on the earth today and you were sick, would you try to get to him? Would you? How many of you would be like, I'm booking that flight right now. I'm standing in that line no matter how long it is. How many of you, if you really love somebody, you would do the same thing. You'd say, I'm going to get that person on whatever airplane I can get them on. I'm taking them with me. How many of you would do that right now? I know I would. And here's what they wrote. Here's the good news. You can go and see Jesus right now. You can take your friends to go and see Jesus right now. Because he is alive and he's no longer confined to one place. He is sovereign and can work in every place. That's the big idea of Acts 3. And so, how do we do that? I'm going to get real practical here. How do you and I, ordinary people empowered by the Spirit, minister to people who are sick? I would say the answer is the same as it was in the New Testament. Number one, we can pray from a distance. We can pray for them from a distance. I see in the Gospels at least three times that Jesus doesn't go to somebody who's sick. Instead, he just prayed from a distance and we read, and they were healed. How many of you can't be with the person that you love who is sick right now, but you can pray for them from a distance? All of us can. Friends, this is one of the great things about living in the age of technology, right? We have social media. We have Caring Bridge. We have prayer chains, prayer callers. We have phones. We have texting. All of these can increase our awareness and our ability to pray for others who need prayer. If somebody's far away from you, you can still be praying for them, and that is a real gift. I got to tell you, that meant so much to me as I'm posting on the Caring Bridge to hear from people all over the world. We're lifting you up in prayer, brother such an encouraging way that we can minister to people today. Number two, we can lay hands on somebody and pray out loud. I know I made some of you squirm in your seats right now. I said the out loud word. But we see this repeatedly in the ministry of Jesus, in the ministry of the early Christians. They lay hands on somebody and they pray out loud for them. What is that doing? I think it's doing two things. Number one, it's inviting the Holy Spirit to be present in that moment. But number two, I think it's also showing affection and friendship to that person. I got to tell you, anytime I go visit the hospital, one of the things I make sure I do is I show some physical touch to the person there. Whether that's putting my hand on their shoulder, giving them a hug. You want to know why? There's nothing worse than suffering alone. I know the doctors and nurses do the best that they can, but there's nothing better than going through suffering with somebody who loves you and cares for you and wants to pray with you. Number three, we can anoint people with oil. We can anoint people with oil. This might be a stretch for you, but friends, there are times in the Gospels when Jesus anoints people with oil. Mark 6, 14 is one occasion. He takes oil, anoints somebody, prays for them, and they're healed. But again, more importantly for us, Jesus is not here and in person anymore. Where does it tell us that we should do that as well? Well, it tells us in James 5, 14. Look it up on the screen here. Is anyone among you sick? Let them, notice it's our initiative, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now some people are thinking right now, well, is the oil magical or is there something about the oil? Absolutely not. The oil is a symbol in the Bible for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
Sometimes God uses physical symbols for spiritual meaning. We're going to do that in just a sec when we take communion, right? The bread and the body are a physical symbol of Jesus' death and his sacrifice. In the same way, when we anoint someone with oil, we're saying, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who is present here in this moment, we pray for you. We anoint you. Last thing we can do is healing happens with faith that Jesus still heals today. As we read the Bible, we see again and again in the Gospels and in Acts where it says, so-and-so had faith and they were healed. Sometimes it says the sick person had faith and they were healed. Sometimes it says the friends of that sick person had faith and they were healed. God wants us to pray in faith. Faith, trusting Jesus is alive. Faith, trusting that the name of Jesus Christ is the name above all other names. Faith, believing God hears and answers our prayers. Faith, trusting he still wants to heal us today. Now, like I said, these questions are just scratching the surface on this complicated subject. But as we wrap this up, as we prepare ourselves for communion, I got to tell you what's going to happen at the end of our service today. First, we are going to take communion together, and we're going to remember the spiritual healing that it represents for us. That though we were far from God, we have been brought near to God. God has healed our spiritual sickness. But then after that, we're going to have members of our prayer team down front. And I would just ask you to consider this question. Am I being led to ask for healing from Jesus today? We're going to have elders in our prayer room, which is to the right back there. If you'd like to be anointed with oil and to have them pray over you, they're making themselves available for you today. I know this is stepping out of some of our comfort zones, but would you step out in faith? Would you bring this to the body of Christ so that we can minister to you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you still are alive and active today. We thank you that Jesus sits at your right hand in all glory and power and honor and authority. We thank you that you still heal, both spiritually but physically too. As we prepare our hearts for communion, we want to remember that though we were once far, you have brought us near by your death and by your sacrifice. As we were told 700 years before he came, by his wounds, we will be healed. And that's what we remember today. In his great name, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.